The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, international break. A great week for Kane, Cymru and Canada. A bad week for Marca and Mancini. Onwards. Can North Macedonia cancel Cristiano and co from Qatar? We bring you the full World Cup picture. Plus, history at Old Trafford as team wearing red wins football match. All that and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, what a week we've been having, not just the football, it's been the lovely sunshine. Lindsay Hooper with you and I'm joined by Daniel Storey from The Eye, fresh from that Wales game, which we'll come on to later, Daniel. Yes, good morning, Lindsay. Uh, Rory Smith from The New York Times, good morning. Morning. And Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic. Is this full debut, Laurie? I think it might be, you know, and thanks so much for having me on, yeah. You're welcome on a show where Jimbo isn't hosting. Hope that's not a disappointment for you. Absolutely not. (laughs) Upgrade. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell him yeah. that's to, just turned a debut into a first and last appearance right? yeah. <laughs> he doesn't listen when he's away she says um, have you all been enjoying this international break and were you as alarmed to wake up in non-footballing matters to the news that Will Smith had punched Chris Rock I mean it was nice to it's always good I think on a Monday morning to go on Twitter for your inevitable morning doom scroll and realize that actually there is something on there that will make you turn it off for the next 10 hours and not go on again which is always helpful it's a shame that a big incident had to direct that but it was nice to see a sort of billion hot takes at 7:55 a.m. and think yeah that's enough Twitter for me today well so we we've got a, a 9 week old baby so my my nights are Sort of feverish, and there's not a lot of sleep. Although obviously my wife's done the book to the work, but um, there's you know there's not Glad a lot of sleep. That in, yeah. <laughs> no, it's important to note, to point out that I'm not suffering, but you know you're not getting a lot of sleep. So the the the, the line that that separates reality from fantasy and and dream is really really blurred. And so I was flicking through basically to find out if Canada had qualified for the World Cup this morning, and the fir- that my entire Twitter was something to do with Will Smith hitting somebody, and I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't work out what was going on, or whether this was like a thing, was it a film? And then you're like, oh yeah, it's been the Oscars. I wonder if it happened there. No, it can't have happened there. And then I, I watched the clip, and it doesn't really look real, but then it's definitely real. It's all very odd. Is this one of those moments where you wanted to wake your wife, knowing the consequences of that, but it was newsworthy enough? I never want to wake my wife at the moment. If she's asleep, she gets to stay asleep. That's the that's the golden rule. Nothing nothing would make me wake Kate up at this point. No, certainly not. It's not even a punch. It's a slap. Were all you guys looking at the slow motion replay like I was? Because you know it's like the VAR of the Oscars. Like, does he slap him? Does he punch him? Is it real? And you're like, you're kind of watching it over and over, thinking, I think it is real. You know, like even though it, you know, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds like a stage punch, and it's it's all. How has he actually done this at the Oscars? I think it is real, right? I rewound yeah. it further, actually, Laurie, because I was more interested in the fact that he appeared to be laughing at the joke. He was first laughing, of all. yeah. But yeah. Jada's face tells a story and I wonder if he then looked at Jada's face and there's also yeah. some context in that I've, I've done a deep dive on this this morning there's been some previous stuff Chris Rock's had nibbles before so I think it's perhaps been a long time coming for Will Smith well uh, no into totally cup today I feel like I should just explain this um up front with Jimbo being away of course he's the quiz master I'm still in the competition as Daniel's story only knows he's awaiting either myself or or Duncan Alexander in the semi-finals. So skin in the game, I can't. I can't be part of that. You know, I'm not saying that I'm a cheat. I'm just saying that uh, when I used <laughs> to play like Monopoly, cheating, when I yeah. when I when I played Monopoly when I was a younger, few notes used to go in. You know, it'd be too tempting. I think so. Uh, Jimbo and the Intertotally Cup will be back on Thursday. Um, we'll start with another very important tournament. Some would say even more important: the World Cup and what happened in Cardiff last Thursday. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Kick Reed, Iken South, Bale, Troy Gwees! Oh, but he grieves, he got a steal! Well, the very world cup, Leon Ellie Penner got a wask and spine. Oh, boy, on that or can at least Zulema and Humbry. And we all get the gist of that, Daniel. You were there. Was Gareth Bale as epic as we all think he was? Yeah, he really was. It was an amazing night. I kind of... I knew I wasn't being put on the England friendlies and I knew I was going to Wales, Austria. And 
it kind of felt like I'd pulled a bit of a trick on on the desk because I was like, this is definitely <laughs> the game to go to this international break. And it was it was absolutely fantastic. The atmosphere, for those who haven't been to a Wales game at the Cardiff City Stadium, which makes a huge difference rather than playing at the Millennium. I saw uh, the assistant, Mark Bowen, saying, you know, maybe we should play the final at the Millennium Stadium to a chorus of absolutely not from Wales supporters and, and probably Wales players as well because they love the atmosphere they make there. I might have seen a better atmosphere before, although I'd struggled to pick it out, but I've never seen a better atmosphere at a stadium with fewer than 35,000 people as capacity. It was extraordinary. The you know the anthems before the game, that Wales anthem has become famous in you know in world football terms for the atmosphere it creates and and the players are able somehow to feed off that atmosphere rather than let it make them nervous because it made me nervous and I'm A, not Welsh and B, certainly wasn't playing the game. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic night. Well, started slightly sluggishly. Austria should have taken the lead. They had that kind of one-on-one that they hit the bar. But after that, Bale just dominates. He was really poor for the first 15 minutes. He, he, he scores that free kick, which is sensational. We'll talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. But it's just the way that he then drops deep to control the game when Wales have a lead and just sort of calms everyone else down. He's a remarkable footballer. A sluggish start from him was to be expected, though, wasn't it? 77 minutes of competitive football since November. Yeah, it was. Uh, and and he, they get that free kick and it was as if he just kind of went, OK, I remember this now. Like, this is my forte. I <laughs> this know is where my I'm muscle doing. memory kicks in. Exactly <laughs> that. Exactly that. And then it was a weird free kick because it was pl- placed in a position where it wasn't obvious for a, a powerful shot. It, it, you couldn't cross it from that position. And the crowd really didn't hadn't quite twigged that he was going to shoot. Uh, and he scored in the only possible way he could in a part of the goal. It was so funny after the game, he sort of went up with, with Wayne Hennessy to the goal and kind of just touched the crossbars if to show Hennessy where it, you know, where it flipped <laughs> the bar and gone in. And it was, I mean, it was... Are you sure he wasn't saying this is where you need to try and dive to? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, if, you, if I try this in training, you aren't saving it, just to be clear, Wayne, stay where you are. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it was just, it was the atmosphere when he scored and and it had only made you know only made it 1-0 and they only won 2-1 but at that point you, you just didn't think that Wales were ever going to see the lead and that they were going to go through because you just realize okay Bale is is immediately back on it he's immediately going to be able to kind of wrestle this narrative his way and 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 after the the criticism he'd received in the Spanish press you know it was it looks like he could he'd been told he was a, a parasite sucking uh you know life out of Real Madrid and he he looked like he'd screamed in the camera kind of suck that in terms of you know I am not what you say I am I can do this and yeah an amazing answer to that pretty ridiculous coverage in the Spanish press. I heard Jimbo say that he felt the free kick in the Rome derby from Lorenzo Pellegrini was one of the best of the season. Buses come along more than once we know that. (laughs) Um, How did this compare? I think it well I think it was one of the best free kicks of all time. If you combine how hard it was to score from there and the very few options he had to do so with the occasion, with the pressure that was on Bale himself, with the anticipation of the crowd. The the, the one that immediately jumps to mind is, is Beckham versus Greece in 2001. But even that was in prime Beckham territory, which is not to take anything away from it. But this was in prime nobody territory. It was remarkable for that. He, he that knuckleball technique so rarely works, and yet he got it so perfectly right that yeah, I think it was my favourite I've ever seen. Who knows what Marker are going to write about after the summer, Laurie? Because <laughs> Bale is out of contract at Real Madrid. Loads of speculation. I saw many fans just saying, "Go to Cardiff, your hometown club." MLS, I suppose, could be an option as well. Where do you see him ending up? The Cardiff one's really intriguing. I mean, it's been the case for a while. I remember at the Euros last year, um, before going out there, Bale was saying, I don't want to say what I'm going to do with my club career. It'll cause chaos. And then as it happened, nothing actually you know, occurred and he, he stayed at Real Madrid and there was no chaos. But it's been this idea that he has wanted to prolong his Wales career more than anything. So basically his club 
that dictates where he's going to go with his club. Um, so I could well see a situation where he goes to Cardiff and, and just you know gets a few months in the bag, plays when he needs to, so that he's ready for the tournament in November if Wales get there. I mean, there's been so many magical nights at the Cardiff City Stadium. I'm jealous of Daniel for being there because I've, I've covered them for quite a long time, but I wasn't there on Thursday. But the, it reminded me of the occasion against Belgium in you know, 2015, I think, where he scores that goal to, to get them on the road to Euro 2016. And there was a free kick that he scored at Euro 2016, wasn't there, against Slovakia and, on the opening day? in Bordeaux which was a similar kind of position but it was a, a much less impressive free kick it was a good free kick but it, it wasn't with the kind of ferocity and dip and incredible accuracy that he, he struck against Austria so I do think that what he does now in the summer will be really interesting to because if Wales are there at Qatar he'll want to get somewhere where he can just play as he, as he wants to I think is it right that he's played more times more minutes for Wales this, this season than he has for Real Madrid so I think he'll probably want to just adjust those ratios Rory, in terms of adjustments, it was always Wales, golf, Madrid. Did we sandwich something else in there now, post the marker comments, because they said it doesn't hurt anymore. I think we could make it hurt even more. Wales proving a point, Madrid. Yeah, I, I think the the attitude of the Spanish press to him is, it might even have been Daniel who said this on Twitter over the weekend, that on one level it is understandable that it kind of that there is a disappointment at what he's been in Spain but at the same time the the ability to remove Real Madrid from being responsible entirely is completely baffling that they signed him they haven't used him properly it's a relationship that kind of works two ways isn't it the club has to get the best out of the player and the player has to give the most to the club and it's not just Bale who's who's failed on that level and well, whether he's failed at all, because he's he's won quite a lot of trophies in Madrid and he scored quite a lot of important goals. So quite where it all comes from, I'm not More entirely sure. More than all of sure. us. Yeah. More than all of us. And and there have been times where he's been a really key player. You know, he scored one of what probably the the second greatest goal in a Champions League final in history. If you if you put in Zidane's in 2002 above Bale's overhead kick in Kiev, he's he's been extraordinary in moments. And it's the club's fault as much as anything that there hasn't been a kind of concerted attempt to to get the best out of this asset that's costing them a fortune. I I doubt he will sign for for a, in inverted commas, super club, just as I don't think there's anyone who will get close to his wages. So it might almost have to be a romantic choice. Or oh, I've, a, just, I've just dreamed it up, the most unexpected Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> would that would really, add in, wouldn't yeah. it, to the narrative? That would really get to Madrid if he did that. I, don't, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's a bit boring compared to trying to go into Cardiff or somewhere, but I do wonder whether MLS might be the, the, the obvious place for him mm. that... He wouldn't get close to his Real Madrid wages, obviously, but he he could be a DP, which would make him relatively well paid. It's a new territory. It's an attempt to kind of build his brand, which we're not allowed to talk about. So it could be, I don't know, like Wales, the Florida coast, Madrid, that might work. Wales, golf. Well, in fact, there's quite a lot of golf on the Florida coast. So it could just be Wales and then golf on the Florida coast. That might be that might be how it, how it works for Gareth Bale. LAFC and Pebble Beach seems a pretty oh, decent combo. For come on. Bale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wales are unbeaten in 17 home games. They have got an agonising wait, though, haven't they? Uh, they need to wait until at least June to find out who they play in the final. Uh, that's when UEFA have postponed Scotland's semi-final with Ukraine until for obvious reasons. Wales will be at home in the final, a one-off game to secure qualification for their first World Cup since 1958. General consensus, are they going to do it? I mean, the, the mood in the stadium after the game was basically they were celebrating like they were at the World Cup. Um, Austria were pretty wretched and finished fourth in their qualifying group. So there is a, a kind of banana skin element to that final. But you look at the home record, they didn't go through Thursday night to then squander and, you know, flunk the final. And they'd have to be massive favourites for whoever they play in that game. I think they've got a really good chance. Um, I mean, you look at the way that Bale and, and Ramsey as well committed himself. He's another one that kind of is in a mode where the club that he's at dictates in terms of the Wales connection, um, where he's going to play. They've got talent. They've got the kind of collection of individuals. I think Rob Page has done a, a good job um, given the circumstances to kind of get them into a cohesive unit. And he speaks with so much passion. You know, it's difficult. It, it does remind me a little bit of Chris Coleman when he kind of engineered this um, togetherness um, that they had for the Euros. Um, and also they, speaking to people around Wales, they, I think they were quite um, happy that they didn't have this second game in, in a few days because they had the likes of Bale. You saw him at the end, didn't he? Cramping up, holding his groin, like he sort of was hobbling around for the last couple of minutes and you're wondering whether he was going to come off or not. So I think they're kind of content that they've got this great now until the summer. 
I think they'd be favourites against the Strots. This isn't in the in the in the context of what's happening. It's not really important. But I I do wonder if Ukraine make it through against Scotland, whether that there might be there'd be such such purpose to the Ukrainians that you'd be feeling like you really they, never before would have would a team have quite so much kind of sense of of destiny. I think that as the Ukrainians that that would potentially level the playing field with with Wales a little bit. But they they're they're at home in a play in a one off playoff that gives them a massive advantage. Well, up next, let's talk about a side that Wales won't be facing at the World Cup. Hi again, listeners. It's me, Carl Monaghan, from Paddy Power. Tuesday night sees the meeting of Italy and Portugal in a smash and grab winner-takes-all European heavyweight clash. Now, wait a second. What? North Macedonia beat the European champions Italy in Palermo last Thursday night? Good God, Roberto Mancini will have to keep his head down for a while. He may well have to go into the witness protection programme after that. With 32 shots, 66% possession, not winning was criminal. Cristiano Ronaldo's aim to line out at a fifth World Cup is still very much alive, as he and his Portuguese colleagues had too much cutting edge and firepower for the Turks on Thursday night. Next up for Portugal is North Macedonia on Tuesday evening. This North Macedonian team finished behind group with Germany in their World Cup qualifying campaign. They've only lost once in their last eight, and that was to the Germans, so no shame in that. They rode their luck against Italy in Sicily last Thursday, but showed courage in football. It's important to see David Pingoliath right between the eyes with a smooth stone from time to time. The Paddy Power traders, though, they're holding their ground. They see Portugal as a 1-6 to six shot to win. The draw is 11-2, to two, while North Macedonia are yet again the underdogs at 14-1. to one. What do they have to do? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Rory, I, I honestly had this blown mind emoji when I saw your, you on Twitter talking about Italy's last knockout game at the World Cup. So it was the final that they won in 2006, which means they'll have waited, you're saying, 20 years before they play another one, which is At crazy. least 20 years. They, have, they, have, well, they will qualify for 2026, just everyone qualifies for 2026, but they'll have to make the knockouts and there will have been 20 years between Italy's knockout games at World Cups, which is astonishing. That is genuinely... In fact, a friend of mine texted me and said that their, last, their record in the last four World Cups is the same as Honduras which is pretty damning. Group stage, group stage, did not qualify, did not qualify. Same as Honduras. It is, Italy are a really weird team. And I was thinking about it over the weekend. Does I, I think Tarek Panja, my colleague, tweeted to say, look, they, they lost, they didn't win a group that included Switzerland or they didn't win a group that was won by Switzerland. And then they've been knocked out in the playoffs by North Macedonia at home. Maybe you don't deserve to qualify. And that I think is absolutely true. The one little bit of context that I'd say there is that for the, for the, big traditional powerhouse nations that tend to be first seeds the team that you get as the second seed in your group is a bit of a lottery so you could as England tend to get Slovakia and Slovakia you will beat home and away and it will all be very easy or you could get Switzerland and Switzerland themselves are really good at qualifying for tournaments so I think Italy not winning a group that included the Swiss was at least in part to do a little bit of bad luck. But then to lose to North Macedonia at home in Palermo in front of an incredible crowd, a noisy crowd, a really partisan crowd, is pretty bad, especially as reigning European champions. And I know they had, was it 31 shots on goal? 32 so, shots. 32, 32 Seven shots of on them goal. from Immobile. No yeah, goals. I mean, so, so those ones don't count. But <laughs> the, the, they dominated the game with the 25 shots on goal plus seven from Chiro Immobile. And... They looked. At, I mean, I was half watching that, half watching Portugal. So I, I didn't. I, w- I wouldn't claim to be able to do like a full-on tactical analysis of how the Italians played. It looked pretty toothless. There was a lot of kind of. Well, I'll have a go from here and see what happens. Um, and the North Macedonians defended brilliantly, but I think overall, if you're Italy, you have to. You have to be taking that as that was a really kind draw. Portugal got Turkey. That Turkey, you know, the potentially decent team. It, North Macedonia, for all the dots of the Euros in last summer, and they've got two or three 
kind of high-level players, Italy should be beating them relatively easily um, at home. And I think that the disappointment, especially after coming on the back of winning the Euros, will be really intense in Italy for the next few days and then again in November. Daniel, what was more shocking? Was it the fact that Italy lost this match to North Macedonia? Was it that goal that North Macedonia managed to score? Or was it that they lost, Italy lost at home, the first time that they've lost a World Cup qualifier at home? It was a, I mean, not just with the the commentary we heard, but in kind of Mancini's look on the touchline, it was like, this is the one thing we didn't plan for, actually conceding that everyone's preparing for extra time, everyone's frustrated that they've been a bit toothless. And it was almost as if they'd forgotten that North Macedonia could actually go up the other end and score. And I, I, I was thinking after the game, what would you rather be as a football fan? If you're an Italy fan, do you take not being at World Cups, do you take going 20 years without a World Cup knockout match for winning the Euros and for winning World Cup 2006? Do you take that kind of rough with the smooth? It was It's, it's a bizarre place that Italy find themselves in because they were always incredibly consistent at qualifying for World Cups and coming close and maybe just not quite making it. And yet now there are this kind of feast or famine team. I, I don't think I'd mind if I was a football fan. If it meant I got 2006 and 2021, I think I'd probably take having 2022s as well. I think the problem that the Italians have got is that last summer was a real exception and Mancini did brilliantly to get to, to craft that side out of out of the resources he had available. But if you look at a lot of the players they were bringing on and or that were in the team on, on Thursday night... There is an issue in Italian football with producing high-level high players. There's, there's not the same depth of talent that you see in Spain, certainly not the same as you see in France or, or in England, who are light years ahead of the Italians in terms of producing talent. And even though this Germany generation isn't quite... Like, I think we think there are more high-level German players than there are, because there were 10 years ago and we, we haven't moved on as a, as a kind of culture. But... Germany produces players with far more regularity than Italy does. If you look through that Italian side, that there is a real shortage of genuine top-class talent. And Daniel's right that it has become this feast or famine thing in the last 20 years, that either they go to a tournament and they do really well in it, or they either don't get there at all, or they're an embarrassment when they arrive. They're England, basically. Um, but if you look at the players they've got, it's, it's really hard to see them kind of you know, being a force in 2024. And it's Italy, so you never know that they might be able to do what they did last summer and just craft a team that can get through. But there's a real, there is a real problem with youth, to be really serious about it, there's a real problem with youth development in Italy, I think. We've not heard much about Mancini since Laurie. Um, Daniel earlier was speaking about those close-up shots of him on the sideline. He, his expression looked like a man that was saying, I might be in trouble here. Do we read much into that? Or do we wait until after this hastily arranged friendly on Tuesday where both the losers, Italy and <laughs> Turkey, face each other? I know it, th- th- this this friendly feels a bit odd, doesn't it? You know, like it's the third place playoff that nobody wants to do. You know, the, you know, at the World Cup. You know, is is it really a match that anyone wants to take part in? You know, they're kind of on this hangover from being knocked out. Um, yeah, I mean, the Mancini ones are fascinating. It was clearly the most stylish guy on the touchline, wasn't it? The Euros. They they went and won the thing. And I do wonder, does this make us review England's performance in that final? I know. Perhaps we've gone over the calls of that one, but you know Italy getting dumped out by North Macedonia in a kind of tactical battle, I suppose, perhaps doesn't reflect too kindly on the way that final went. But yeah, I think with Mancini, he, he did overachieve massively with Italy already, so he surely has credit in the bank on that front. Does Mancini become a, an option for Manchester United, Laurie, if he's suddenly available? I, I was toying with whether to mention this or not because uh, when I did a piece recently on sort of the, the runners and riders and I sort of chucked out a one name in terms of Didier Deschamps that somebody had mentioned to me and said could United not ask the question there you know he's, he's kind of done this this job um, and then in the comments somebody was saying what about Roberto Mancini um, I think the way uh, that things ended at Manchester City would preclude that and, and the kind of the uh, the, the kind of success he enjoyed there, but also the way it, it kind of turned a bit toxic, I think, at the club um, would would you know make it a very difficult <laughs> ask. I mean, that was what Brendan Rodgers had to deal with really when he was being linked with the job. It was, well, he's a former Liverpool manager, so he's kind of got to go above and beyond to be uh, on United's radar because I think the fans, you know, the Glazers are very aware of, of how the next manager is appointed, the crowd reaction to that and I think they just have to kind of go with somebody that will be uh, warmly welcomed by the majority of fans 
It's a year ago this week that North Macedonia won away at Germany. They've achieved another famous victory on the road. And next up, it's Portugal. North Macedonian football journalist Philippe Mischoff, who we spoke to in the summer, joins us now. North Macedonia, Philippe, 90 minutes away from their first ever World Cup. What hysteria awaits if that happens? Yes, it's it's an amazing moment. And uh, we, when you're only 90 minutes away from... Uh, uh, making the dream come true, you just can't uh, help and uh, imagine how it will be if Macedonia reaches the World Cup. On the other hand, it's uh, astonishing that we already won against uh, Germany in the group stage and uh, we eliminated uh, Italy as European champions and we are still not there. What were the celebrations like? What has happened so far? Uh, it's been an absolute madness because... Uh, the previous uh, couple of wins uh, that were against Georgia to reach uh, the Euros last summer and against Germany uh, were accompanied by a curfew ongoing in Macedonia due to COVID restrictions or, so people uh, didn't get a chance to celebrate the wins. So uh, everybody waited for a moment like this and then the streets were uh, flooded with people and uh, the traffic was stopped. There were celebrations up until the early morning and uh, everybody was happy about it. And uh, now the eyes are set on on tomorrow and uh, the, the big final against uh, Portugal. Surely something has changed now as well because you couldn't watch the game against Italy on TV. They've got to change that for Portugal, haven't they? Uh, well, yes, the, the Macedonian uh, national TV channel, which is called uh, uh, MRT, uh, didn't broadcast the game. And uh, the only way for uh, people from Macedonia to watch uh, the game was uh, via the regional sports channel, sports club, uh, who, who isn't available at every uh, digital operator over here. So a lot of people had uh, that problem of not uh, having to watch the game on the Macedonian national TV channel like it should be. But uh, that hasn't changed and the, the national TV channel won't broadcast the final. I don't know what was more surprising about the win, the quality of the goal, the time that it came in the match against Italy, or the fact that you were missing one of your star players. Um, so Elgif Elmas was suspended um, back for the game against Portugal. Do you think that that could be the difference factor here against Cristiano Ronaldo and co? Elmas making a return from suspension is a huge boost for Macedonia because here he is our best player and he is our most creative player. So we won in Palermo without him and he has now uh, uh, he returned in the squad and he is fit. He hasn't played for 10 days so he will, he will be fresh and he will play the whole 19 minutes. Of course he will be uh, he can be a massive creative spark uh, in midfield and in attack and hopefully he will deliver. Uh, he had a subpar, uh, I would say, appearances at uh, Euro 2020, but uh, for a young player like him, that's not unusual and uh, he will only grow and grow and he has been evolving ever since and I believe he can make a difference. Just before you leave us, have you got any inside news, any scoop on the team, any update on injuries? Uh, well, there are no injured players, thankfully, or doubts, uh, but uh, there is a huge dilemma for our coach, Milewski. Do you go for it from the start or uh, you just uh, withstand the pressure and then unleash uh, your best players? So uh, it, it will be a dilemma for Milewski, definitely, but uh, he hasn't changed the formation once since taking over the helm. And I don't think he will change much and he is a very attacking-minded coach and I believe he will go for it. But uh, with Elmas returning and another player which is very important for Macedonia is Kostadino, who is the defensive midfielder of the team. They will both come in and uh, bring fresh legs uh, to allow everyone, everyone around them to, to flourish. So uh, I would say the, the first 20 minutes of the game are key because if Macedonia doesn't concede early, anything can happen afterwards and uh, holes will uh, start to open at the back and... Uh, Pepe hasn't played uh, in 10 days and their centre-back duo is over 70 years combined. So, I don't know, uh, I see an opening and I see a chance and uh, 
the motivation will be with with our players because uh, Portugal has been ever present at the World Cup and uh, our players has have the chance to be the first ever to reach the World Cup in uh, Macedonia shirt. So, uh, what's bigger motivation than that? North Macedonia finished second in Group J, losing just twice in 10 games, finished ahead of the likes of Romania and Iceland to get to the playoffs. And we've heard that Philippe's feeling confident they can also dispense of Portugal. Uh, Portugal had the best group record of any team in the playoffs. They saw off Turkey on Thursday 3-1, but almost threw away a two-goal lead. Uh, Barak Yilmaz missing a penalty to make it 2-2. Portugal and Manchester United's Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes, or Fernandes, however we're meant to say it now. Uh, Rory, are they able to play together? That is the question. I mean, I mean, no, they're not able to play together. That's the answer to that question. Uh, they get in each other's way. Ronaldo is... is Portugal look better because Ronaldo isn't... It, they're, not, they're not quite built for Ronaldo in quite the same way as United maybe have been trying to be this season. Laurie will know more about that than me, but... With Portugal, you, you also have kind of Bernardo and Jota. And I thought Atavio, the, the Porto winner, was fantastic against the Turks. Um, there's there's kind of enough players around who are kind of doing stuff around Ronaldo that you don't notice that you have this essentially stationary striker up front. Um, but I do think there's a slight kind of imbalance to any team now that Ronaldo's in, which isn't to say he's not one of the greatest players of all time. He obviously is. But without question, at this stage in his career, you need a really specific kind of approach to the game behind him to allow him to do what he now does. Um, Portugal have solved that slightly better than Manchester United maybe, but the the tension with Portugal really is that you have this very attacking lineup, and then you have Fernando Santos, who is the least attacking coach in the entire world. And it, there's just something slightly unconvincing about Portugal, I think, that goes beyond Ronaldo. They've got this huge amount of talent, they've got brilliant players left on the bench, there's a lot of kind of creative ability there, but I don't know how well it gels together. And I do, I do wonder whether if North Macedonia can do what they did against Italy and just you know stay solid, make it difficult. The Portuguese might get frustrated; they might get a bit kind of uh, frantic, and that will give North Macedonia a chance. They're not Portugal are not perfect, despite all that talent that they have. Could Manchester United, Laurie, be about to solve the problem of Fernandes and Ronaldo together? Because they're looking at strikers this summer. You've written about this. Um, Harry Kane, is he on that list? He's taken his England tally to 49 after scoring in the friendly against Switzerland. Um, What do we think? Are they not going to be any more in the same team? Uh, Well, this is the question. I mean, speaking to people that know Cristiano Ronaldo, I think that the fact that Portugal making the World Cup, similar to the Wales situation, he'll want to have a steady club um, situation. So um, I think they, they think that he'll stay at Manchester United uh, and for, for second season. Um, but United still, even if he does do that, would need another centre forward really because Edinson Cavani is going to go. They've dropped Anthony Martial uh, is you know on loan at Sevilla, not pulling up any trees. Particularly Marcus Rashford's had a difficult season, so it's an area of the pitch that they need to address amongst others. Um, and I can sense the eye rolls going across the country with mention of Harry Kane um, and clearly what happened last summer in terms of the Man City saga. But United have always had a look at him, and you know he's got two years left on his contract come the summer. You know, the Champions League qualification for Spurs and Manchester United will be an interesting dynamic, but I could see a situation where United do try for Harry Kane um, and it's just whether or not they have enough resources and when Daniel Levy actually entertains any kind of offer this summer. Um, But as I say, you know, two years after his contract, it'll be interesting to see if he decides that now's the time to strike. Um, But there are other options for United if they do want to get a striker, but equally they've got, you know, central midfield really needs addressing and even, um, we're told, sort of on the right side of midfield you know in terms of a winger where you know Jaden Sancho was sort of bought for that position but he's been playing on the left so um, yeah areas to address for Manchester United anyway. Mm. They could just play him on the right couldn't they and bring in a left winger. That would be sensible you know um, but sense and Manchester United often aren't hand in hand so um, <laughs> we wait with bated breath. There is going to be like a curious dynamic to the start of next season isn't there because there's there's quite a few players who are maybe going to make their, their decisions on where they play in the summer based on what they need for the World Cup. I wrote about this last week that there's there's a whole generation basically who are going to who have been playing to this World Cup. You know, you look at Thiago Silva signed for Chelsea because he wanted to be in the Brazil squad for the World Cup. Dani Alves went back to Barcelona because he wants to be in the Brazil squad for the World Cup. 
Chile won't make it, but Arturo, Arturo Vidal wanted to be at the World Cup. He's 34. Modric still going at 36. This will be his last World Cup. There's a whole generation of massive stars who want to kind of have this swan song in Qatar. <laughs> Most and of I, them are being dumped out by North Macedonia. And, and quite, well, Chiellini and Benucci, two of them have gone already. The, but the, there is this kind of sense of the World Cup is in the middle of the season, so players will choose where they want to play based on what they need to make sure they're in their country's World Cup squad, particularly this, this kind of set of players in their mid, mid to late 30s who have kind of targeted this as their last major tournament. And you do then wonder if the second half of next season might basically be a lot of players thinking, well, do you know what? I've kind of done it now, so maybe I'm going to take it easy. I'm, you kind of get this impression that maybe come like February 2023, will Cristiano Ronaldo care if he's not in the Man United team? Probably not. Because he'll have got to the World Cup, well, potentially got to the World, World Cup with Portugal, and that was what he was playing for. So he'll just kind of be like, well, all right, I've done half a season, I've played a major tournament, I might take it relatively easy for the next two or three months. One more UEFA qualifier to mention, and that's Poland versus Sweden on Tuesday night. Poland were given a bye to the final as they drew Russia. They drew one all at Hampden Park in a friendly against Scotland on Thursday to warm up for this game. Um, what what do you think about Lewandowski when you talk about that bracket of player Rory that might disappear in February 2023? Well, so he's he's in it. And he, I mean, obviously Robert Lewandowski is immortal because he eats his, his pudding before he has his main course, which is the <laughs> secret to eternal youth, apparently. Um, but he's, he's out of contract at the end of next season he's in his mid-30s I suspect that he will be targeted in getting to Qatar although without being dismissive of the nation of Poland I think if you're a Polish international you probably take the World Cup as less as less as of a given than if you're a Portuguese international in this generation um, but he'll be targeting that and then I'd get, I would imagine that come 2023 he might be thinking alright maybe I will take my talents elsewhere that you know he'll have done Eight or nine years at Bayern, he'll have won 46 Bundesliga titles. He'll have scored Not enough Ballon d'Ors. Yeah, he's in that generation of players who might well be thinking that the second half of 22-23 is going to be sort of a bit of a holiday, I think, if if Poland make it to um, the World Cup. And if they don't, then we're all going to have to deal with Robert Lewandowski doing half a season, having a month's break, and then doing another half a season, in which case I'd make Bayern Munich relative favourites for the Champions League. Half a season doesn't sound that bad, though, um, actually, Rory. 49 goals for club and country this season, around 25 for half. Yeah, he could do I mean, I, I reckon if, if Lewandowski knew he was having a month off in the middle, I reckon he could do 50 goals in each half a season. <laughs> That'd be fine, I think. No, I think he's, he's, in, that, he's in that bracket that this, that this would be his last World Cup. It might not be his last major tournament. You could see Lewandowski playing on until the 2024 20, Euros, but it would be his last World Cup. And I think that that will be a motivating force for him to get there. Although this is a really evenly, you know, it's a really evenly balanced game. There's not, I don't think there's a vast amount between Poland and Sweden. So it would be, it will be, it will be tight. Home advantage for the Poles, I guess, is important. It probably makes them favourites. There was another beautiful moment in this international break. I feel like they keep coming around Christian Eriksen. First of all, returning to club football, then scoring with his first touch in his first game back for Denmark after suffering a cardiac arrest at the Euros. It's a really good heartfelt story, this, about Christian Eriksen, apart from some coins being tossed, I think, in, during an interview afterwards that he did. But um, we'll skip across that. Um, did you expect him to be playing for Denmark again so quickly, Daniel? I think the honest answer is I had no idea, which was the, probably the whole point, in that for so long the discussion... Well, for initially the discussion was nothing to do with football because it was about whether he would... A, survive and B, be, be a healthy individual again. And then when it came to football, which was pretty much two or three months later, and it became clear that he probably wasn't going to be able to continue his career in Serie A, it was then at what level does he go into? And I think he chose brilliantly by by teaming up with Thomas Frank, who he knew from, from Danish youth team level. And yeah, I don't... I never really considered it was a possibility or wasn't. I just had absolutely no idea, which is, I suppose, the scariest thing of all, that it, it, he quite clearly could not be here both a on the football pitch scoring goals with his first touch back and b you know not here at all mm. oh you get the sense there's so much more to come after that um after the break let's leave europe and focus on world cup matters across the globe so what do you think about this jesse marsh then i quite like him he's american and american managers never get relegated do they that's because there's no relegation in major league soccer oh 
It would be generous to say Leeds definitely won't get relegated, but if you want generous, try Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer and get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. Eighteen plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. That's the sound of Canadian limbs after thrashing Jamaica 4-0 on Sunday night. Uh, the Canadians qualify for only their second World Cup and their first since Mexico 86. Uh, Wales are obviously trying to beat them with the whole since scenario 58 for them. Uh, Rory, as someone well-versed in North American football matters, um, you've got to sum up just how massive this is as an achievement. It's, there were flares on the streets of Toronto. That's how massive that is. This is, is what we want to hear. This the, is what um, we want. Yeah, the, yeah it, it's huge. I mean, it's massive. I think that Canada, there's, there's lots of lots of different factors that have gone into it. One is 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 the coach, John Herdman, who's obviously British-born, from Consett in County Durham, I think. he's He took the women's team, turned them into a, a help to, 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 to continue the fact that they're a major force in women's football and then took the men's job when the men's team really weren't a force in men's football. They've got two or three stars. Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies are the two big the two big stars. They're the two big kind of hopes. Um, but they've got a little kind of set of regular MLS players and, you know, Carl Laren, who's a, who's a uh, Besiktas and players at that level in Europe. They're, they're a good team of solid pros with two stars, which actually is quite a good recipe for success in World Cup qualifying in general and possibly even World Cup tournaments. That's kind of what you need. If, da- if David and Davies are fit, then... Canada are a threat to people. I think they won't they won't be beaten easily. Um, but there's also been loads of kind of development in terms of youth like youth youth development programs across across Canada. Part of the the MLS program, they've obviously got three MLS teams. That's all massively helped kind of raise the level of players there. And it's been a long time coming, but it has been a real a real success story for Canada. They they have worked assiduously and painstakingly to get to this point and it's 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 a reward they deserve and they've they've played that weird octagonal qualifying system they have in North America perfectly because you don't need to be you don't need to go and win like 4-0 at the Azteca against Mexico you just have to kind of rumble through against the smaller countries who you should be beating if you're well organized and you're you've got that star quality you just have to kind of keep on plodding through and that's what Canada have done and then yesterday uh, as we're recording overnight they they kind of cut loose a bit against Jamaica who've not been particularly impressive and they are there and there were wonderful scenes of limbs in Canada the the interesting thing is going to be um they managed their world cup qualifying campaign brilliantly because they they basically won all their home games apart from one and only think only beat the weakest teams away but they played their home games against USA and Mexico and Costa Rica in freezing conditions in Canada I think even last night against Jamaica I think it was minus eight in Toronto going to be interesting to see how that transposes into Qatar which is I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a climactic shock for a team that's used to excelling. There's a big story about the, the American, the, the USA game that they were, you know, they were playing it outside and it was it was so cold that one of the American players had to come off with signs of frostbite and hypothermia and that sort of thing. So they've clearly managed that really, really well. It'll be really interesting to see how that kind of trans, transports into what will presumably be the hottest World Cup of all time. Well, the USA are also on the brink of qualification after Kristen Pulisic scored a hat-trick to lead them to a 5-1 win over Panama. Uh, The States will qualify for Qatar as long as they don't lose by six goals or more away at Costa Rica on Wednesday. That lightly, Rory? I mean, don't rule it out, I suppose, because they they do have this ability, the Americans... That's slightly unfair. In 2017, they needed to not... 
lose to Trinidad and not have a really unlikely set of results elsewhere to, to qualify for, for Russia. And I don't think before that game there was any sense in the States that, that they might miss out. And then lo and behold, they did. So the, until they are there, I think there'll be a degree of nervous, nervousness amongst the USMNT fans, as I like to call them. Uh, but the chances of them going to San Jose and like losing 6-0 are relatively slim. I've not seen a lot of Costa Rica, but I think they're unlikely to put six past the States. So no, they should, they should be there. I think Mexico's situation is, is slightly more interesting. If they lose and the Costa Ricans win by two or three. Mexico have got relatively, I think they've got Honduras or El Salvador in their final in their final game. If they were to lose that, which they won't, and the Costa Ricans were to beat the 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 States, then Mexico would miss out on goal difference. But the that's unlikely too, to be honest. So no, the Americans will be there. Mexico will always be there. And to be honest, of those two, it's probably the US who, who have had the better qualifying process. The, the Mexicans have been a bit hit and miss. I don't know whether there's a degree of complacency for for L three that they they just they always qualify so they know they don't really have to try very hard. I'm not sure, but the Americans have had it's been rough in moments and there've been been points at which after the defeat to Canada in January particularly where there's been a little bit of soul searching and a bit of fear that 2017 might happen again. But overall I think they've actually been quite impressive and they do have a lot of very good young players who slowly but surely seem to be coming together into quite an impressive team. Mexico can't let the trio down because Canada, USA and Mexico joint hosts for the next World Cup in 2026. We're about to get Canada and USA by the looks of it, um, making it for the first time for a World Cup together. Well, the thing is, would it be a World Cup if Mexico weren't knocked out in the last 16? That is the question we'll have to ask ourselves. That, <laughs> like, the, like Mexico getting knocked out in the last 16 by Argentina is a really important World Cup tradition. And I don't think we're ready to move on from that yet. CAF then, uh, the second legs of the African playoffs are on Tuesday evening. Daniel, you were at AFCON. There's two massive ties in this one that still focus. So sum up what's been going on there. Well, it, it kind of broadly, it's uh, Roy's just talking about kind of what makes a World Cup. And the other thing that makes a World Cup is North African sides going there and barely trying to score and probably having one <laughs> player sent off in the three games and finishing on in with maybe two points in the group with a nil-nil, a nil-nil and a two-nil defeat. Um, and that thankfully looks set to continue because I think Algeria will be there. I think Morocco will be there. Um, the the, the non-North African tie is arguably the biggest one, which is Ghana against Nigeria. Um, but then, yeah, Senegal-Egypt is a rerun of the AFCON final. Egypt won 1-0. They will go to Senegal and they will desperately defend for a 0-0 draw and they will probably get it and therefore they'll be at the World Cup. Uh, and Ghana-Nigeria I mean, Ghana, is really interesting because Ghana completely flunked AFCON and Nigeria looked brilliant in the group stage and then themselves flunked it in the quarterfinals. Uh, maybe it was the last 16. Yeah, and Ghana got a draw away at Nigeria, which is a surprise. Uh, and away, we should say away goals still count. So if yeah, if anyone's wondering, do I yeah. miss them? This is your chance to <laughs> to actually check in and see if you do. So they still apply in these CAF playoffs. If Ghana score on Tuesday, then Nigeria have to score twice. Yes, yes. That's... Only tw- only twenty twenty one kids will remember this away goals. <laughs> <laughs> It does feel to me like Africa maybe has has this problem where there is a middle class of teams that have all risen to a certain level, but no one has pushed on beyond that. And there'll be lots of different reasons for that. And it would be really nice if Algeria, say, went to the World Cup and attacked because they have the talent to do it. <laughs> Well, they are looking well set for qualification, Algeria, along with Tunisia, um, 1-0 away wins at Cameroon and Mali, respectively. Uh, Next up, we go on to Manchester United men and Manchester United women. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. 
Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. The Totally Football League show with Michelle Owen is out on Monday as well. The Athletic Women's Football podcast, which I'm part of, comes out on Tuesday. We'll mention a few topics likely to be discussed there shortly. Uh, Laurie, we mentioned the striker search earlier. Uh, The interview process has begun now to become the next permanent manager of Manchester United men's team. How is that search going? Well, it seems to be focused primarily on uh, a shortlist of four. Um, certainly, Eric Ten Hag has been interviewed by Manchester United. There's obviously Mucho Pochettino, and it's a little bit more difficult with him, given the fact that Paris Saint-Germain are his employers and are not as open to seeing where he wants to go next as Ajax are with Eric Ten Hag, which is a more kind of grown-up uh, adult situation over at Ajax, because they obviously know that you know players and managers move on from there. Um, PSG, it's a little bit more difficult to extricate a manager, given they... They don't want to lose face, basically. You know, they've uh, they have a manager in place, and they don't want to have another club come in and, and poach him, really. Um, and then there's Luis Enrique, who I guess is seen as a bit of a an outlier. Um, United would love to um, speak with him and see if anything can be done there in terms of the uh, Spanish national job, which clearly will take place up until November with the World Cup. Uh, and then Julian Lopetegui, he's the manager that. George Mendes put into Manchester United when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was still in charge. So he's he's one that I think they would have a conversation with. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he has quite the appeal of an Eric Ten Hag or even a Mucho Pochettino in terms of United fans' eyes. And it's quite interesting actually how... I mean, Gary Neville put out a poll on Twitter the other day, 200,000 respondents, and it was 80% positive for Eric Ten Hag over Mucho Pochettino, which I, I thought was quite surprising, just given Ten Hag obviously has done really good work with Ajax, got to the later stage of the Champions League with them, clearly won titles, but he hasn't actually performed outside of um, the Dutch first division, really. So it'd be interesting to see if he can translate that to the Premier League. Yeah, I think with... With Ten Hag, there's a there's an air of mystique and mystery to him with the United fans, a, an unknown which most of them see as a as a positive. I think there are downsides to that. He's not managed in a in a you know a highest level European league yet with Pochettino has, but there's an element with Pochettino that because he went to PSG and because he's failed to do what so many high class managers have failed to do at PSG that. He's sort of already on that, not on the scrap heap, but almost on that we already know so much about him that we know his flaws. And maybe people don't know Eric Ten Hag's flaws yet. And therefore, United fans see that as a as more of a, a win-win in that I think there's a sense with PSG that the job is too much for Pochettino. The politics is too much. And that's the same with, you know, it's happened to Ancelotti, it happened to Thomas Tuchel. It doesn't put him in a a particularly worrying camp in my eyes but I think in United fans eyes they think well if that's too much for him maybe the mess at Man- or the kind of maelstrom at Manchester United is also possibly too much for him and therefore they prefer this kind of someone who would have been a left field candidate it's also worth pointing out that Ajax suffered a their own humiliating Champions League exit as well as Pochettino did in fact it was more of a surprise them losing to um, to Benfica than, than than PSG losing to Real so my worry with Manchester United for any of these managers is that the the club kind of brings them down quicker than them can, they can pull them up. Laurie, how involved is Ralph Rangnick going to be in this appointment? We know that he's going upstairs. What does upstairs equate to when it comes to this appointment? Yeah, really interesting one. And it's yet to be determined, really. Um, the consultancy that he got um, as part of the uh, agreed deal to join as Manchester United manager for six months was two-year consultancy. Um and it wasn't really mapped out at that point. I think it was basically because he had two years uh, to run on his locomotive Moscow contract. So they wanted a kind of equitable reason for him to leave there to come to Manchester United. And as we understand it right now, he's not really been involved in the process. You know, it'll be a case perhaps once the season's done of 
him being somebody that they can contact and ask his opinion on um, if he can you know talk to an agent or um, talk to a player perhaps uh, and give his advice or his opinion that's how it'll be I don't think it'll be a kind of structured thing where he is a part of the boardroom and a part of the process for signing players on a regular basis um, yeah I mean I think he probably has his own views on who Manchester United manager should be he clearly is somebody that's been involved in the coaching setup for a good six months by the time yeah, the season finishes, so he could uh, give advice to the uh, you know his successor really on how to handle certain players. Um, although to be fair, you know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did the same with him. He had a long conversation with him before he took the job, and he gave his advice on that front. So it isn't the case though that Ralph Rannick is leading this. Uh, it's John Murtagh who's the football director at Manchester United, um, with a bit of assistance from Darren Fletcher, who's the technical director. Richard Arnold, the chief executive, is taking a, a you know a kind of a hands-on approach. He wants to be kept up to date, but it is it's going to be John Murtagh's first chance really to show what he's made of because he's been promoted up to a position of power and authority at Manchester United and and this is really a, a huge decision to get right for the foreseeable and it's, it's interesting what Daniel was saying there about the kind of the way that these uh, things are perceived because you look back on I think it was November 2019 when um, Richard Pochettino left Spurs and, and United fans were crying out for him to then be appointed as Manchester United manager and it's just the way these things go that you know timing is everything I suppose. With all of those candidates, do you see a tearing up of the blueprint that Rangnick's left behind? I think he's struggled, you know, to impose exactly what he wants on this team because it's been such a short turnaround. He's interim manager. The players know that. The coaching sets up, is that exactly how he would want it? You know, that's another question, I suppose. So I think he's tried to install a bit of a high-pressing style, but it's not really happened, has it? Um, I think... So, so in terms of blueprint, I don't know if he's like left that much of a, a footprint at Manchester United. I think he's kind of taken a pragmatic approach really now where he's picking a side for each individual game to try and win that game. And he's obviously had a lot to deal with, you know, with the Cristiano Ronaldo situation. Mason Greenwood was a, a thing that nobody could have predicted and has taken out one of his attacking options. So it will be interesting to see who gets the job and then how much Ralph Rangnick speaks to them about it because you can imagine it'd be quite a, an open, honest conversation at that point. It was international break, but Old Trafford didn't get a weekend off. It was Manchester United versus Everton in the WSL on Sunday. Uh, the first ever women's game played in front of a crowd at Old Trafford. They had played there once before, but that was behind closed doors during COVID. Uh, 20,241, so the largest crowd for the WSL season so far. Uh, United came from behind to win 3-1 in a boost to their Champions League hopes. Alessia Russo, a childhood United fan, scored twice at Old Trafford. Daniel, I spoke to Dennis Irwin pre-match. There were quite a lot of people at this match, as you, you'll have heard. Can you see where the game is going now? Does it feel like it's on that trajectory to a whole new level? Yeah, it, I mean, the, the the whole playing in the, the bigger stadia debate has, has kind of rumbled on, I think, over the last couple of years. And um, it, the benefits of it are obvious in that I think the more you do it and the more the team wins those games the more focus it has, the more um, more it's kind of collaborated with the men's club. And at Manchester United, that's important because that didn't happen for, for far too long. I think that's a, a very obvious and correct thing to say. Um, but if you can get 20,000 there, then you can get 20,000 there regularly. And that has to be the aim. I know there is an issue with women's teams playing all their games at that, those stadia. Um, and I think it helps that, it, it, you know, on... on non-league and women's football weekend it helps that they're able to stand out it was a huge shame that the North London derby was you know was postponed by Spurs because these are crucial weekends in terms of establishing you know a, a real fan base for the sport um, one of my biggest frustrations about the the Euros this summer is that the games in Manchester are going to be played you know they're, they're the first games at Old Trafford and then the games are going to be played at Lee and the City of Manchester Academy Stadium which I think it's a huge shame. If you look at the attendances at the Women's World Cup in, in France, there were, there was a scope for larger stadia. I'm, I'm surprised and a bit disappointed that it's the City of Manchester Stadium, the Lee Stadium, because that kind of, to me, that kind of sets a precedent of to those teams of, yeah, OK, England are going to be playing at Old Trafford and England, will, the final would be at Wembley, but these games almost don't matter as much, which is, in tournament football, is an absolute nonsense, I think. I think they all should have been given that level playing field and playing in front of a, a 5,000 seat stadium, I think is a real, real poor move. 
I thought Old Trafford was a, a really good occasion actually for the women's team. Clearly, as you said, the, you know the West Ham game last season behind closed doors, and they played their games regularly at Lee, which is you know like forty minutes outside of Manchester, which I think probably is something they need to look at because if you're Manchester United women, you should be in and around Manchester. That that would help the crowds no end. Um, but I thought the football was was a really good quality. Um, the, the headers from Russo, you know, um, I think if, if some of the men's could could kind of produce some of those headers from corners, particularly, you know, United have struggled from corners this season too out of like 150 I think they've scored from so she knows how to put the ball away and I just thought it would I think you know speaking to friends of mine that are Manchester United fans that they looked at that game and thought actually this is something we could get behind and hopefully it's you know as Daniel says you know it can, can grow the game that way. Set pieces haven't been a problem for Mark Skinner they should be sharing coaching tactics I think on that one. In other women's football news Ada Hegerberg is back in the Norway squad. She's been injured for the last two years and in international exile for the last five. She's still only 26. Rory you interviewed her last week. It's a fascinating story. The exile from the Norway squad in particular because she is a difference maker. Oh she is and I think there's there's, there's an element that she's been forgotten almost in the in the women's football is in Europe is moving so fast and developing so quickly that I think Hedebird missing two years, she almost felt like she belonged to the past. You know, this is the age of Miedemar and Lita Martins and all and Carolina Graham, Graham Hansen almost at Barcelona as well. There's this sort of sense of the the sport that, that Hedebird left in twenty twenty for injury, the cast of characters in it are almost different by the time she comes back in, in late twenty twenty one, because that's how fast women's football is moving. But there's no question that if she gets back to what, like a tenth of what she was, that she's a major she's a major weapon. Um, what what I thought was really interesting was the first thing she said to me was that she doesn't know what sort of player she will end up being post injury, and she's really excited to find out. And I've never heard any other footballer say that. Just that the, the natural tendency, I think, is to worry that you will not be a quite you'll be like a, a less good version of what you were. I don't know because Lucy Bronze has had that sort of attitude as well right, post okay. her injury. She's she's been quite laissez faire about it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's um, it's exciting. Who knows where this this will take yeah. me? I don't know whether it's. I don't know whether is it. Do you think it's like a product of? This is going to sound really like middle-aged man dismisses culture, but like, is it like a product of like wellness thinking that you internalize the fact that this has happened and you trans transform it into like a positive force, which maybe is something that younger people now do. I'm nearly forty, so I have no idea what young people do, but maybe I that's what younger they, people they've do. They've all read the secret, Rory. That's what it is. It's is positive that the Donna mental Tart thinking. Book? No, no, <laughs> no. What's no. the secret? Oh, you, you're going to have to go away now and get yourself a copy. Oh, no. um, I'm not very good on those ones, but it's about positive affirmations right. and thinking and that. It, 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 it may well be a product of that. She's 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 very chipper out of Hedderberg. I will say she's she's extremely good company, and she's um she's she's yeah she's kind of effervescent, and she makes you feel quite glad to be alive, which is definitely not the case with most footballers. That you interview. <laughs> <laughs> but she she was she's really keen to to say like I might not be quite what I was but I might be something different maybe I'll be slower and that will make me better and I think that's a really that's a really good way of looking at an injury to be perfectly honest and I do wonder whether as you say with the um with the the, the exile from the from the national team I'm not convinced that at this point she feels as though Norway has has done everything it can do to support the women's game which is what the protest was about I do wonder how much the injury has kind of given her the, a sense of there's no time to waste there's maybe a, a little bit of renewed urgency about her career. She, it sounds like she's had a, a lot of time to think. And although I'm sure that the principles that led her to walk away from the national team in the first place are still the most important thing to her, I wonder whether she feels that the FA, the Norwegian FA, have kind of done enough for her to say, okay, the most effective way to accelerate change now is for me to be back and to drive it from the inside. And that makes the Euros this summer even more appetising because you have this this situation where Arda Hedeberg's kind of on a vengeance mission to prove to prove to everybody that maybe they they have been sleeping on her as young people say a little bit and and she doesn't really like that although she she sort of says it with a smile but she's I'm not sure she's that impressed with the idea that the game has moved on from her I think she feels that's a conversation she maybe wants to be part of for the euros it's a it's another a, another game changer that just increases the fairly remarkable depth of potential winners in that tournament because you look at that pot too that now has Norway in and also 
remarkably, it feels, has Sweden and Spain in. And Spain are now, in some places, the favourites with obviously linked to that the rise of that Barcelona team. And Sweden have incredible heritage in the competition. And those three teams are all pot two, which is ludicrous, really, in terms of the depth of that competition. I was speaking to my, to my boss, actually, in the States the other day, and he said that he talking about how we're going to cover the tournament. And he said that you can make a, make a case that the fa- that the winner of that tournament will go on to be the favourites for the World Cup in 2023, which is, in itself is a measure of how how fast things have grown in Europe. As, as Daniel said, suddenly Spain, five years ago, Spain were not a force in women's football. Now Spain have the air of a team that could potentially win a World Cup, and that is extraordinary. So it is, it's a useful kind of guide for who, who might be maybe America's chief rival in mm. Australia and New Zealand next summer. And they need a chief rival. They've needed one for a while. Um, Growing up, it was always the case that if you wanted to be a sportswoman, professional, tennis, golf, now we're seeing the rise of women's football. After these Euros, do you think women's football could actually accelerate and overtake golf as the key earning potential for for professionals? I think anyone anyone and anything overtaking golf as anything is is a really important (laughs) aim for society. So I would like to think that lots of things would overtake golf. We all know that only Wales overtakes golf. For, yes, for true. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Wales women's. So you're saying it's Wales women's football golf. That's <laughs> Maybe the, we had that one in. The, yeah. Oh. The, um, no, I think I think that the the, the the growth is really exponential, and I, I don't know whether it's always easy to appreciate how how fast it's changing and how how much it's rising. And I, I actually think, to be honest, a lot of the times this is I do not want to be a kind of women's football is not covered right because that's not. That's not fair for me to say. I think a lot of the traditional I'd metrics... also edit that out, Rory, because I did the Sky Sports stuff, you know, so we'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. the coverage is absolutely spot on. No, it's not that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the metrics that we use, I think, are a bit irrelevant. Like, kind of, we talk about viewing figures, or which are not really that accurate. You know, there's a lot of people consume things in different ways now. And attendance figures, which are, you know, more relevant, but also aren't the, the whole picture because, you know, ultimately to a younger generation, go into an event isn't quite the same thing as it was to our generation. So I think if you look at the the way the game is changing and the fact that it's it's growing so rapidly in so many different places and that there is this kind of sense of tactical change and system change within the game itself, the speed with which it's it's moving is remarkable. And yeah, I would expect it to be, in two years' time, it's really hard to say what it will look like, except that it will be bigger and it will be different. I think that's a good place to leave it. I think we've come full circle. Well, that is it from us today. Uh, thank you very much to Daniel, to Rory, Laurie. Uh, thanks to Philip as well and producer Charlie. Jimbo's going to be back on Thursday, which means Intertotally will also be back. Have a great week. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.